Oh my God, this is Indie Animation with Trevor and Rob. I love that you start like, uh, like I just woke you up out of bed. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh my God. What was I doing just now? But this is it. We're here. We're here. We're in the same room. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going on. It hasn't been that easy for us to get together often enough to do this. We've really committed to this every week thing. Dude, seriously. And uh, um, so this is nice, nice to be in the same room. And we don't have the the pressure of like... Um, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, an interview we need to get to or something like that. We're just chilling, drinking this hot water. Yeah. Well, you're right? drinking cold water. I'm drinking hot water. It's cause I switched cause I just drank a bunch of coffee. Mm. Um, my stomach hurts because, um, I went snowboarding this weekend and ooh. wrecked my stomach cause I'm an ooh. old man and I'm learning. Wait, but not muscles. Like you weren't doing fucking sit-ups on the mountain. I wasn't doing sit-ups on the mountain. So what I did here, it's not going to probably not going to make sense, uh, without visuals, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, is I fell, caught my front edge and I fell, but I fell towards the mountain. Basically, like I stopped, I fell forward and stopped and my board kept going another foot. And so it just like pulled my, you know, I think like when I fell, I probably tensed my muscles and then like the board pulled Ooh. my legs, which pulled my stomach muscles. Oh. So I ripped the lower ab- abdominal muscle. Oh, so this isn't food related. No, no, my this stomach is like, fucking hurts. Ow. And I'll tell you. Uh, I don't know that learning how to snowboard as a, as an old, as a, as a old man is a good idea. Yeah. I think Keanu Reeves said that in point break when he was like, oh, this is for little rubber people who don't shave. That's what he said. Yeah, he was referring to surfing, but it's kind of the same idea. Well, right? I think yeah. snowboarding came out of surfing. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, like sitting on a plank. Uh, yeah. Like that makes a lot of sense. Do its job. Yeah. Um, but I'm tenacious. So I'm going to keep going. I I'm think you should. This. Um, my kids can ski, so I have to, I have to get up there anyway. And we live near these beautiful mountains and shit. This, well, this thank you for making though. the pilgrimage all the way out to this high tech sound mm-hmm. studio, mm-hmm. uh, despite you having a, a broken abdomen. Yeah. And this is our first, this is our first episode where, uh, you don't know what we're doing. No, no, no. This is a mystery. This is a surprise episode, everybody. It's my, well, it's not a surprise to me because I know yeah. what I'm going to ask. It's a you. surprise for half of the people in this room. But I won't tell you. More than half. Dustin, 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 Dustin doesn't, doesn't know, know what the fuck I'm going to do. Dustin, do you know what the mystery is? No. no he okay. shook he his just head. shook his head. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, Grape is finally asleep, nestled was, into her little. She was louder. She was loud early. She heard your voice and was like, um, Rob's so. Here. So we've done, we, we did a deep dive into Trevor. Mm-hmm. We went into the land of little Trevor. You believe that was a year ago? That was a year ago? Are you kidding? Yeah. That's probably, crazy. I don't know. Probably grossly under overestimated. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one thing I constantly come back to is, is this, uh, animation producing is so fucking weird. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. It's not something that people think about doing. Like when people say animation, the first thing they think that you do is an animator. Yeah. Like you move uh, everything around. And the further yeah. you get away from being an animator, the less it makes sense to, to people in the world. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, producing is already, and I've said this a million times. So it's, I'm just saying the exact same thing again. So forgive me, but yeah. uh, producing is, is, um, this, it, it can mean so many different things and it's such a, um, it can mean so many kind of odd or 
not straightforwardly creative things um that i think is just a very it's a very mysterious job um and uh you know one of the things that 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 i wanted to ask you today is um have you always loved animation or is animation something that you got into i know how you got into it i know that you got into it through live action and then development and then got into animation development. But I guess what I'm asking is while you were growing up or when you were thinking about creative things, was animation something that you were interested in? That's a good question for me. When I was younger, animation wasn't separate from live action. Uh huh. You know, it was all like entertainment. It was all like the end game was like, Oh, there's like these little stories you're going to learn about the human condition and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was, um, I, I had this like early memory when I was in grade school. Uh, I was sick. Um, I had like strep throat or something. You know, when you get strep throat, you're like sick for like fucking three or four days. Right. And, and you can't swallow. It's just like the worst. God, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. the worst thing. I remember uh, having some sort of a toy in my hand. It was like a, not a G.I. Joe. It was like some, maybe it was like a He-Man or some shit. But I remember like holding He-Man up and in my mind's eye animating him in my head. Uh-huh. And that was like the most fucking fascinating thing i had no idea how to do any of it i don't think i owned a camera at the time um but that i wanted to have something to do with that you know it's like uh-huh. a feeling it's less of a thought and more of a feeling um and then i saw nightmare before christmas and okay. it just blew the whole the whole thing for me i was like this is the most fucking incredible thing i've ever seen and i don't even know if i could tell you if it were stop motion you know yeah for yeah, me, yeah it's like just yeah. animation um but that planted the seed really early on. And when I was in art school in San Francisco, it was all mostly just like fine arts and shit. It didn't do any, any animation. But when I went to film school in, uh, in Los Angeles, one of the, one of my senior projects that I did was, um, uh, uh, was stop motion. And so I fabricated, um, I fabricated sets, I, you know, fabricated props and, um, Mostly it was like cardboard was all the base of everything. And mm-hmm. We painted the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. It all kind of was derivative and it looked like, you know, black and white Tim Burton type stuff. But, um, it was, uh, it was as if like I would, I was gravitating toward that, even though I wasn't really thinking about it. Uh-huh. And so that kind of been like haunting me my entire career. And in Los Angeles, I wasn't even sure I could that making a, living in animation was even a thing. Like right. it didn't even occur to me. Right. I'm, like, I'm in Hollywood. I'm still trying to like figure out if it's a thing, right? Major motion picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yes, I've always been fascinated with animation at the time when I was in LA, the most readily available jobs were, was working specifically in development on, you know, big motion pictures. So, so because that was like the path of least resistance, it was the, it was the, it was the most employable thing I could do. Um, but I've always was horribly fascinated with animation. And I have to go back and credit my father, who um, my mother was always a big fan of Disney. Just yeah, just stars in her eyes when it, yeah, when yeah. it came to Disney and Disneyland. And my father, the same way, he um, to this day is a really huge Disney fan. So I think they planted that seed really early on. Okay. And that um, the and I said this in previous podcasts is that. I feel like I drank deeply from my experience in Hollywood in, in learning how to be a jerk in learning how to, uh, 
use power to try to develop a picture instead of actually developing a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think are- I picked up a lot of traits. I had, I had worked for some really interesting producers in LA as their assistant. Uh, and now in retrospect, I realize they probably weren't the greatest human beings. <laughs> no offense if anybody's listening. Um, and so I picked up a lot of those traits and I, and it was only once I had left live action and started working uh, in animation, did I realize how, um, how, uh, it just wasn't none of these traits were valuable to have as a human being. And then learning that none of those traits were valuable to have as a, as a producer either Mm -hmm. career wise. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really thankful to have gone into animation professionally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you ready? You ready for what today's episode is going to be? Oh my God. Yes. Let's do it. Trevor's top five, top five animated films and why. Oh my God. That's what I want to know. And they don't have to be, let me set the ground rules. Okay. Yeah. So I can turn the tide on you at some point too, and ask you the same thing. right? Yeah. But you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a talker. So that's probably its own <laughs> podcast. So here's the thing. Uh, what I want is Trevor's top five. I'm going to say films. I would love them to be animated, mm-hmm. but also recognizing that there may be things that feed into your love of being involved in animation that aren't animated films, they're yeah, live yeah. action films. So I don't want to set that boundary. What I want to, what I want is your favorite slash influential, because I think sometimes, you know, like I have films like Transformers, the movie from 1986 that I would not argue is a good film, yeah, but I would argue had things that were so influential on little me um, and there were things about them that were good, you know, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, there's, there's, there's aspects to them that, that are great. They don't have to be something that's going to be fucking AFI's top 10 right. films. Oh, right, right, right. Um, right. but what I'm looking for more is like, I want to kind of paint help or I'd like to see the picture actually. I want you to paint the picture of like films that got that, 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 that get an individual into this creative circle. If that makes sense. It, you know, it does. And I, I wonder if you so you and I are, are relatively the same age. And I wonder if like for our peer group, if growing up, we may all be drinking deeply from some of those same things. I'm sure we will. There wasn't really that much available. Do you know what I'm saying? Like in like the eighties and nineties in terms of like, what would get to your television? Like mm-hmm. what would be in your living room mm-hmm. back then? Um, I had the fortune of, uh, I had the, the, the fortune of my father, like every weekend would rent three or four movies, sometimes more up to like five films on a Friday. And we'd spend all weekend, my twin brother and I, and my dad just watching these movies. And, uh, oftentimes they were animated. Mm-hmm. And so I have that memory of like, Man, the weekend's coming. Like, I'm going to use dad's making nachos, and we're going to yeah. like, watch a shit ton. I'm going to use your own argument against you, please, please. which is that um, you know we are the first generation of VHS of being able to rent movies. So people before us, uh, all of their cinema growth experience is the movie theater, right? Uh, and and maybe some, and maybe television, yeah. Um, and when I say maybe television, what I mean is like, I don't mean that there wasn't television that was produced that was, uh, that would be influential. I mean more that like, if you didn't catch a movie in the theater, it might show up on television. But aside from that, 
you're up Shit's Creek where yeah. we were the first generation where, um, not only could you see things, if you miss them in the theater, you could see them on video. You could also see things on video that, uh, that would never come to the theater. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see, um, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla right, on videotape. Right. You never could have seen it in the theater. Or like you could Fritz see, the cat. Or you could see Fritz the cat, yeah. which you would have been too young and not allowed to see in the movie. No, theater. my older sister rented Fritz the cat one night when she was babysitting my yeah. twin brother and I. I remember watching it at a young age going like, I don't quite understand this. Yeah. yeah. But it was animated. Yeah. Ralph Bakshi. Yeah. That's not what I would put on my top, my top five list. Yeah. Nor would I would suggest that children watch that. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, so, so you have, you, you do have, you know, um, you, you had, um, you had, uh, access to things that. Yeah. You wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. And, and you had a, yeah. and you'd had, sorry, I'm going to keep interrupting no, keep you going. as I ask you about that. Yeah, I'm going to ask you questions please. and then I'll, uh, I'll not let you answer. Um, then Do you it. also, you also had, um, you had this kind of like, uh, positive context, which I think is also part of people's movie going experience, which is like you're having weekend time with your brother and your dad. And like you said, eating nachos and probably staying up exactly. late. And there's a whole, there's a whole nother thing that yeah. that goes into it that that helped with the magic. Yeah, because I feel like when I look at someone who's like, uh, my dad and I used to go to the ball game, you know, every month. And, Fuck those guys. Know, and the and the we you know we used to trade baseball cards and all that stuff. I'm not into <laughs> fucking sports. Sorry, I'm sure sports are great and like being healthy and like running and all that stuff is great. But for me, I see I understand why people are like. I'm really into baseball. I'm really into football or like, you know, or fishing or, or fishing. It, yeah. Right. But all of that. Yeah. There's a bed of context and ethos that's mm-hmm. like built for me. That was film. Mm-hmm. And the, the, my father bringing home, you know, however many movies every week. Um, and this happened for years and years and years and years. So I got this crazy high frequency of all kinds of films from R all the way down to, to family films. And that, um, that was my education before I found books. That was my real, that was my yeah, education yeah. onto life as well to yeah. see like, Oh, well, these are different stereotypes. Of, of right. Characters Cause you're out in, you're like, out in, in rural Oregon. Yeah. Because which there was a very a lot of stimuli. Off, out yeah, there. yeah. Yeah. There like literally yeah. wasn't a lot of stimuli and I wasn't, you know, don't come from a very, you know, intellectual or academic family. So yeah, there wasn't really a lot of, there wasn't a lot of diverse experience for me to, to to grab onto and movies were that they were literally that like yeah they were your your cultural outlet your 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 estate you know it's like that's your in in a certain sense that's your art museum is it was and it was like my life education too because i remember being in grade school and my uh we had these movies my dad would would record movies on uh slp yeah four films on one vhs tape yeah and i would just watch a movie and just let it go right into the next movie and mm-hmm. right into the next. I remember it was like three o'clock in the morning and mermaids came on. This is like Cher, Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci. I oh, think, yeah, right? yeah. I remember watching it and just being entertained. And what, I mean, it's a, you know, it's like a drama or coming of age drama. They weren't actually family. mermaids in that movie, right? They weren't mermaids, no. but they were like a family trying to figure themselves out and how to move as a unit. And each yeah. one had individual problems and they had problems as a, you know, as a unit. And I remember, um, for me, that kept my attention, just mm-hmm. like that drama. Yeah. So I'm not putting mer- I'm not putting shares mermaids on my top five. List. All right. So here we go. Here's the list. 
So, uh, and you're going to have to come up with this in order on the spot. So it's like a fucking game happen, show too. Dude. Yeah, it's going to happen. Number five. Oh, fuck. I was going to start with number one. No, you go to not. You count down number to number five. five. Okay. All right. Um, Otherwise, people, people hear number one and they can fucking stop listening. Okay. I'm going to start with number five, although I would fail this game show because having said number five now, this might actually move to number three or number two is uh, I'm going to say Persepolis, mm-hmm. right? It's 2007. Incredible movie. Um, Persepolis comes out uh, made for seven million maybe that's your producer that's what i so this is this is it this is the thing this is what i want keep going you're gonna say things i'm gonna analyze them important to put that in context i'm like your uh i'm like your little freud over here yeah so persepolis comes out and uh it's 2d it's in black and white it's made largely by a group that has never done animation before they've done graphic design and have done uh graphic design graphic novels and comics and as I understand it, from the very, very top, from the producing and finance level to the creator uh, and to the art director that she partnered with, uh, they didn't really come from animation. So when I finally, when I saw the trailer for Persepolis, I was like really taken aback back in, in 2007. Um, and it is a picture that has stayed with me in terms of its importance all the way up until now. Um, to take something like the Iranian Revolution um and and give it to american audiences mm-hmm. okay take a look at this and you know we don't uh, historically haven't got along with iran and the uh, iranian revolution is really about kicking american ideals out of mm-hmm. <laughs> out of iran so it's like you know it's tough subject matter but it was uh, it was amazing for me to see essentially like a historical event unfold through the eyes of this like punk rock Iranian girl and to see um, uh, her family, specifically her father and and her grandmother, to see these very human American characters that at one point I lost the thread in terms of like, oh, we're in Iran. We could have been anywhere. Well, it's kind of that. I think that that's so that one of the things that I love about that, and we've talked about this movie before. um, uh, One of the things that I love is that and I don't know whether I don't know how much of it is uh, intentional and how much of it is just personal story arc stuff, but um, that by having by having the politics uh, as the backdrop for her like personal journey, which is which is largely like emotional and relationships, um, it made it so universal yeah where it could have just been so it could have just had its hand on the door and forced you out by being such a different world than yours you know but it but it invited you in by being this uh by being a personal love story yeah coming of age um all of the stuff that 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 human beings go through regardless of where they're exactly regardless of politics or regardless of where they are on the socioeconomic like hierarchy. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that that's what it, that burst through, through all the noise for me was watching that was just being like, Holy shit. Uh, the fact that it's animated, the fact that there was like, you know, uh, pretty toothy subject matter, um, that, it made the world a lot smaller for me and made me and, and hit me really at my core when I saw mm-hmm. it. It wasn't just about, Oh, I'm an audience member watching some fucking cool animation. 
um, it was like really like kind of left a mark on me. And I was like, God, this is, this is fucking amazing. And then when I did research and found out how the film got funded and how little resources they had to actually make the film, I got even more excited. Cause I'm yeah. like, okay, well this is what, in my opinion, this is what art should be. Mm-hmm. Like you fucking nearly on your deathbed trying to get it finished. And right. then at the end of the day, you you're left with this beautiful piece of work. I'll that actually means something. I'll add to that. The thing that excites me about it. Yeah. That excites me about it. You've lot seen the it. picture. You're familiar. Yeah, with yeah, the movie. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. Um, uh, one of the things, you know, it, a lot of, a lot of movies excite me on, on two levels. One is the movie itself. And two is the potential market of the movie. And I don't mean that from a, like a, a meme capitalist making money standpoint. Yeah. I mean that from a, um, when that movie was hailed as a critical, critical success, even that the movie was made and that I saw it to me was proof that there was, that this, the fact that this movie exists gives me hope that this kind of movie can exist. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. That yeah, like, yeah. um, you know, ever since I've never wanted to make movies for somebody else. I've always wanted to make movies for me. So as I've gotten older, it becomes harder and harder to envision what animation is going to be satisfying because like, I want to make movies that I want to see and they're not going to be, rated G movies. And that's has nothing against rated G movies. I think that like, um, you know, I love a lot of family movies, uh, and I'm glad that they happen. But me personally, I have a, I have a passion for, uh, making movies that are adult without them being either, you know, without them having the automatic, um, hallmarks of what people consider oh, like adult animation like yeah oh yeah. it's got to be it's got to be um fritz the cat shit fart jokes yeah. or it's got to be porn or mm-hmm. it's got to be um or it's got to be uh you know a scanner darkly or it's a well, fake I'd be fucking in. Like a no fake i'd be animated. into scanner darkly. are you really oh, i love it oh because i was gonna put that on my list of unfives that's fine really i mean we don't have to like, agree on it richard linklater he's awesome he's amazing and yeah. i would never I, 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 I don't mean to say anything disparaging about him or the people who worked on that in austin but like scanner darkly for that me ain't, that ain't animated man. Uh, scanner Dar- uh, scanner darkly for me is another is another example of the exact thing that i was talking about which is like fuck this movie uh, the fact that this movie was made gives me hope that the kind of movies that I want can be made. But, but anyway, a, right, right. I just mean from an animation loyalist sure. kind of point of view. But uh, and we're this is Trevor's list. This isn't Rob's list. So I, I'm going <laughs> to shut up a little bit and let you get back. No, no. But but you're totally right. And I think I mean Persepolis is on my top five. Maybe it's number five. Maybe it's number three. Maybe it's number two. Um, but for that reason, I thought it was really amazing. I don't know. I mean, I know how the movie got made because I went back and looked at how you know kind of the the chain of events but i still you know it's a big bravo to um uh who is it uh sony columbia columbia did they end up distributing that film anyway whatever um uh really really proud of that and and it felt just like you said like the when people think of animation it's generally like a big four quadrant picture um but to see that film and to see that, yes, it can be made, it can be made for a budget. And because of that, you can, your story can be protected. Yep. You're not going to get fucked with by the executives over and over again to be like, you know, homogenizing and rounding up the corners and putting 
nerf everywhere so you don't so audience members don't get hurt by right, how sharp right, right. the edges are. Right. Um, but having said that, uh, also on my list, maybe this number, one really is like number four. Number four, uh, which might be number five, is a movie that uh, apparently was never well received. Got kicked around by the critics critics when it came out, but I've watched it probably twenty five or thirty times, and I love it to death. I love it, and that's Sword in the Stone. The Sword in the Stone. Yeah, dude. All right. You know what I'm saying? Like going back and reading uh, articles on it, everyone's like, "Oh, this is like one of Disney's like stinkers," and I'm like, "Are, are we watching the same movie?" Yeah. So I was a kid. I watched that. It was super amazing. Got to see Merlin for the first time. Um, the uh, Madame Mim, which is un just unbelievable, so amazing. So for those that haven't seen it, Sword Sword in the Stone is go Young King right Arthur. Now. Turn this off. Turn off the podcast <laughs> and go 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 Netflix it or whatever. Disney movie about a young King Arthur uh, who was it uh, Newt? No, unlikely is the unlikely. He seems like he's the page right to his older brother, and he seems yeah. like he seems like a a, a dorky wimp. And he's the one that pulls the sword from the stone. Yeah. So he's the chosen leader. But he puts up with so much grief. Mm -hmm. Like he's the perfect underdog turned hero because and he's a lot like Harry Potter. He just gets shit on by everyone around him. His family treats him like crap. His older brother definitely treats him like crap. Makes him go in the woods Mm -hmm. to go retrieve the arrow Mm -hmm. in that woods with them scraggly looking fucking wolves and shit. Like. Awful. Awful. It was terrible. It was like just terrible. Um, did it come out when you were a kid? No, I think that film came out in the seventies, didn't it? Okay. I'm not that old motherfucker. <laughs> um, but yeah, the sword and the stone, uh, I remember watching that in heavy, heavy rotation. And, uh, to me, the sword and the stone, uh, the way it was written, like it didn't feel like each chapter was the same length, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like each bit or set piece that was presented in the Sword in the Stone could have been its own short film. Mm. And that's what I really liked. So uh, when they went underwater and they were being chased by the Barracuda, it felt like its own short film. When they turned themselves into squirrels and uh, uh, a girl squirrel f- fell in love with the protagonist and uh, this very rotund uh, squirrel fell in love with Merlin when they were all squirrels. Um, was like heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Like, and when the protagonist gets turned back into a human and the, and the girl squirrel just doesn't understand why he's a human anymore. And she breaks down crying. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the range of emotion that's available in that, um, in that movie. See, like in my mind's eye, I don't even think about it as animation. I think yeah, about yeah, it yeah. like as a, you know, as a, as a movie. Um, uh, I found it to be really amazing. I, I feel like, um, more and more films now kind of feel like the chapters are all the same length and mm-hmm. you're just kind of like, okay, well here's, we're getting something out of a book is what it seems, what it feels like a lot of, yeah, it really it feels does. like a, yeah. a, they're all, you get through them really easily. They're highly digestible, yeah. but they, but, but there is, there is a sense that like, like, oh, well there's a way, you know, there's an algorithm that, that, that they follow. Yeah. Uh, and, and with this one, even visually, it feels like they took advantage of, I remember the color palettes being very drastic from chapter to chapter. Um, the camera work also was varied from chapter to chapter mm-hmm. and it just felt like a very textured film to me. And it was something that just held the test of time. Cause I would, all of these films, you know, we had thousands of films that, that I could watch when I was younger, but there was, you know, that select few that was always in heavy rotation. Right. 
and watching him triumph from just being the scrawny kid to pulling the 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 sword the irony or i I was always like scratching my head at the point where his family finally took a knee and respected him yeah and i'm like you motherfuckers yeah he had to pull a stone yeah. or pull a sword out of a stone Not to get your respect, then. you yep. assholes. Yeah. Um, then that's what you, that's what little Trevor felt like. What am I, I going to have to He do? never lost it though. You know, but no matter how him and Harry Potter, it's like really great protagonists. I feel like I, I would never want to be formulaic, but I do feel like there is value in when you meet people who are just constantly kicked around, but they refuse to be bitter and they right. refuse to be cynical. Right. I'm very attracted to that in a main character. I'm putting my jacket back on. It's fucking cold. That's because I turned the heat off because is the, the heat really, is it too much? Is it too much to have the heat on? Is it, is it, is I think so. I feel like that's a terrible thing. I think we can turn on with, with, without the room mic on it. We should probably be good. Okay. All right. We're going to turn the heat on. So if it sounds like a, it's going to sound more like a hurricane. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have room tone yeah. for half the podcast. All right. So, so number five, number five, Persepolis. Yeah. So Persepolis. number four, sword in the stone, sword in the stone. Number three. So number three, I think I have to pull again from the uh, Disney catalog mm-hmm. and again from a film that I think was not one of the first films that people think of. But it was very simple. It was around, I think it came out uh, relatively close to Sword in the Stone. And that's motherfucking Robin Hood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, another one where. Do, 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 exactly. Do, yeah, do, they call do, me do, a do, slob, do. but I do my job. Do, 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 do. So good. Like, do you remember the hamster dance? Do you remember that? There was like in like the, in like, like 99 or 2000, there was like this, like, there was like this, like, uh, it was like this, uh, uh, like eight bit hamster that's dancing and they took the robin hood they took that little bit from the rooster and robin hood and they sped it up oh, and then they made this no. web page that you would go to and it would just be all these dancing hamsters and it would go doo, 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 and it was doo, from the, i forgot doo, the rooster doo, was doo, the narrator right you know i learned i learned big words from that uh from uh that movie i remember mm-hmm. um whatever the whatever the girl the love interest was in that when she turns to robin hood and she goes you're so brave and impetuous and i remember i was like so young i was like what the fuck does that impetuous yeah and i remember like going and like looking it up at some point like there was a dictionary at my disposal or you know back at school a few days later uh and learn what the word impetuous <laughs> impetuous meant um uh but similar to sword in the stone um Robin Hood was another one that I could watch over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it, in the age of, uh, what was the Disney picture that came out with all the different animals and they're fucking cops and they're trying to fucking do, I don't know, it just came out like two Zootopia. Years ago. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So this, so Robin Hood is basically Zootopia when you look at every character is a different animal. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the king was a lion. The the king's little left hand. I like that. I like a, that you just made snake. that parallel, and I just agreed with it. Yeah, but it is it's basically but, it's the same movie. Well, it's the not, one. No, no, hey, you I do mean, your not, fucking Robin Hood. Yeah, you like, do hey, your fucking Zootopus. Yeah. What? Whatever. But change it around. Normally, put the, the different words on there. Is done. But that's what. It's hard for me to like to just put a bunch of animals, different animals in for the sake of different animals. Uh-huh. It's like, Hey, kids like different animals. Yeah. Again, anyone who worked on that film, I applaud you. The film's fucking brilliant. But, uh, but in looking at Robin hood for me, it was a giant neighborhood of, of, of different animals that all felt like they lived together. 
mm-hmm. know, like it felt plausible to me. I don't know why. I have a take on Robin Hood, but I'm going to let you keep going. And then um, I'm going to tell you my take on Robin Hood. Uh, but Robin Hood, again, it's like that underdog story. He was, you know, robbing the rich to, to, to feed the poor. Um, uh, but there was just so much more there. Like the love story I felt was incredibly fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, the themes of friendship were really, really fulfilling. And the tides turned many times in that story, mm. like for reals, like, yeah. like Robin Hood was jailed, you know, right. sort of thing. And, and they, they were setting up the plot in a way where you couldn't really see your way around it, how he could get out. Mm-hmm. And that to me was like good storytelling. Cause like, even though I would watch it over and over again, I fucking knew made Marion and I'm going to get married and shit. Um, but each time, like I felt like I was in really good storytelling hands uh-huh. and got to fully immerse myself, uh, in, in Robin hood. And I really did not like the antagonists, mm-hmm. which I wasn't supposed to. Right. Right. Presented, Cause they were all, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're all a bunch of fucking assholes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, uh, I thought it was the, I thought it was like the best way to treat Robin Hood, uh, even better than all the the Kevin Costner films. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Men in tights. I will the, ag- I will agree with that. That that, but that's definitely my favorite. I'm not a huge Robin Hood, you know, uh, uh, legend or whatever yeah, fan yeah. in the first place, yeah. and I definitely. Who you know, is though? I by mean, making, like, I don't know, somebody like, is. They keep making cosplaying movies. Playing. They're making the another one. Are they J- making Jamie oh, Foxx? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe um, that one will be good. I don't know. But here are a couple things I love about Robin Hood. I'm yeah. going to add to your Please, Robin Hood yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one is um, it was in that age of Disney where they were doing like the, the, the rough line rather than the clean ink line. So there was a lot of life to the, to the line weight on oh, the characters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I've always loved. I've always loved, you know, uh, whether people did it through um, – like a xerography onto the cells or whether mm. people did grease pencils on the cells. Um, that would just give natural imperfections. Yeah. I just, I that. just love, yeah. I just really, you know, I've always loved that. You know, when you look at the old pencil tests of Disney things, they show the pencil tests of Pinocchio versus the final inked Pinocchio. And there's something so much more magical about the pencil test. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. It's just really cool looking and, and alive. Um, and I loved, there were a handful of films that they did where they kind of let loose with that a little bit. And Robin Hood was one of them. The other thing, and this isn't, this, this is like a time period. There's another time period thing. Cause they did it with a lot of stuff. A lot of movies of that time had this audio quality that was like, it sounded like the mics were turning on and off between each line or something like that. Like, like it's there was like, no room tone to, to, to fill the gap. I don't know what it is. It's almost like it's like everything's a little bit like crunched, like, like, and it on, on, on more kind of on more indie 70s stuff, you would get it even more so. Mm-hmm. But I, but I remember it in Robin Hood that like when characters talk, it just was like, they're like, were they're like, coming in hot. And you were then, like assaulted by their lines. Yeah, it's, and almost, then, it's almost a little bit CB radio ish, like not totally, but there's oh, like a, a little bit of like a thing like of, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that I've always dug that as a thing. So you're knocking the sound editor. Oh wait, no. So you're not knocking it. You know, like I love it. Oh, I yeah. love the aesthetic. Um, and then, uh, and then I always had this thing where, and I don't know if I, I've, I haven't seen Robin hood. I don't think since I was a kid. So I don't, I, this could totally not be true, but I, I kind of remember it being like, it was almost as if, uh, 
it was like the old, so you know the old live action studio model where like the studios would have a bunch of actors that they employed and the movie would come out and you would see their actors playing these new roles. And they, they almost like there's like a familiar faces thing. It's almost yeah, like sure. I joke about it with, um, there's these Kung Fu movies that I've, that I've, I grew up on that are all, that are, they're called the Venom Mob movies. They're, um, there was this movie, Five Deadly Venoms, and, the, and it had this group of guys. And then those group of guys made these other movies, and they were very popular in the late 70s and the early 80s. And um, there's a thing that happens where you're watching this movie, you see two of the guys you know, and you're waiting for the other guys to show up. And then, like, you know, two-thirds of the way through the movie, a bad guy turns around, and it's the fucking it's scorpion guy. guy. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, that yeah. guy. You know, it's like... I've always equated it to like on happy days, you're waiting until Fonzie shows up, you know, Fonzie enters the scene in happy days and the, and they, they do like a canned applause, you know, like, you know, and, uh, if there's a thing where like it, Robin Hood felt like there were characters that were now like they had just grabbed from jungle book and they were like recasting them in, Robin Hood. Oh, fucking, you're totally right. And, and then yeah. they just show yeah, up. Yeah, 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 and you're yeah, just yeah. like, oh, this is the fucking blue again. Is, yeah. Now he's doing a different voice. But, but it's, it's true. Yeah, because you had the bear. You had the fucking snake. The snake yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was and the same and like, the lion, character design. And the the lion is kind of Shere Khan-ish. Doesn't he have the... Or am I making Yeah, like Maybe I'm on the keto up. diet. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's all tiny and like, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in this one. Lost some weight. Yeah, and maybe that's why like people knock Robin Hood, too, because they're kind of maybe... They felt like it was something that wanted to to rush to market, so they were cutting corners or something. But that's some like, that's there's something cool about that. I yeah. about that. I of like you know like having your having almost like a theater approach where you're mm-hmm. having your actors dress up as new characters for yeah. a new movie. I don't know. That's in, an interesting. I feel like we're seeing that more and more now. You know, like you look at. Um, American Horror Story, where yeah, yeah, you know, totally. characters come totally. in. HBO does a shit all the time. They even did it so much in uh, the the in Deadwood. They had uh, the character oh, yeah. who shot Buffalo Bill. Right, come back as the preacher. Come back as well. He came back as uh, 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 is it Hurst? Yeah, he came back as Hearst's assassin. Oh, right, right, right. But it was the same guy. Right, right, it was right. The right, same right, actor. Right, right. You know, twenty one episodes apart. Yeah. Playing a different role, and yeah. I was like, "You ballsy motherfucker!" Yeah. And I liked it. I was um, like, "This is kind of cool." Like, all right. yeah, a lot of people are like, yeah. So we got so, number five, Persepolis. Yeah. Number four, Sword in the Stone. Sword in the Stone. Number three, Robin Hood. Exactly. Number so two. Now number two, dude. Okay, so five through two are fucking fluid. I don't want to tell you. Right. I think I'm screwing this up. But I'm number cut that part out. But number two happened when I was older. This is a fucking crazy thing. Uh, I was in. I was in uh, art school in San Francisco. My girlfriend at the time was in uh, at Pepperdine University in Malibu. And so I figured out I could take the train from, I could take the coastal starlight. I could take a train from San Francisco to LA to go visit my sweetheart. And so uh, I took a train to Los Angeles and they have a bar car where you drink. They have a meal car. Uh And in the caboose, they have what, is basically looks like a preschool, bright colors, little mm-hmm. blocks and shit you can play with. And I think I had a couple, I think I had a couple drinks in the bar car and went exploring the train. And then I found this caboose thing and nobody was in there. And I didn't have kids at the time. I'm, you know, I'm in college. I, didn't, yeah. I wasn't thinking. No, you're just being a weirdo. No, but I, my breath smells like cranberry juice and vodka. Yeah. And I go in and, um, an animated film starts playing 
And I hadn't, at this point in my life, I hadn't sat down and really watched an animated film for like, you know, probably 10 years or something. Right. I'm like 20 or whatever, maybe 18. So uh, A Bug's Life hey. comes on in this caboose. I'm like buzzed. And I just sit there like a five-year-old on these, you know, because everything's undersized uh-huh. in there. Even the little benches and stuff, they're tiny. And just sat there mesmerized because the world's going on around me in this caboose. So mm-hmm. I can watch watch the gorgeous, you know, west coast of America fly past, past me. Um, and I just sat there and watched A Bug's Life from beginning to end in this caboose. At one point, a mom came in with their child. I think they played for like two or three minutes. And then I think she was like... We're getting out of here. Like, weird, like, weird this guy, guy, guy like watching alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's wa- and he's into this kids movie too. Yeah, she's probably so like, into yeah. it. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. And uh, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing if I were that parent at that time. And some dude was like in there watching a movie. So um, a bug's life hit me because I, I mean, everyone in their mom saw Toy Story. Yeah. Um, but having just that moment, and again, this is like later in my life. Bugs Life. I don't know. Am I fucking up this game? Because now I'm choosing Bugs Life because it was something that left a big mark on me. But to be fair, I haven't sat down and been like, you know what? I'm going to revisit Bugs Life. Like no, no, no. I revisit is, reading no. Tolkien. You know, exactly the point of this, yeah. actually, is like this. It, 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 it made a mark in the timeline that you yeah. clearly remember. It did. And at that time, I wasn't focused on animation. I was yeah. focused on... Um, uh, producing live which action. is a credit to bugs life because yeah. you know you it's have a good fucking film yeah and it's also like it doesn't uh it was kind of um it was a big there was a lot on the line because it's the follow-up film right yeah. they did they proved I think that themselves. was wasn't that film number two yeah. from Pixar? so yeah. they 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 um they had had a big hit with yeah. toy story and then there's a big question mark when you do that for anything, anything, any, you make anything, you do a good job. Mm-hmm. The next one, everyone's looking for, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know? Um, uh, and a lot of, a lot of the, the second one out of the gate falls so short of the first one out of the gate. Yeah. That, Especially if the first one is a monumental success. Right. Like how the fuck do you, how do you bottle lightning twice? Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, uh, that the I think that and it was at the same time that PDI came out with Ants mm-hmm. exactly yeah they were like, like two competing insect movies insect movies yeah. CG they came out really close when, together when 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 when, car, when animated yeah. films were not when it wasn't like Wait, a given that they were going to be CG was Ants oh it was PDI it was before DreamWorks um, yeah. absorbed them. Yeah. yeah, I think Which so, is, right? Or maybe they absorbed them and it came out. And, I just knew that. And PDI this was all it. like three or four years prior to DNA, which was another CG company in Texas who came out with the Ant Bully. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Talk um, about a fucking stinker. Oh god. <laughs> and it's funny because it, it had uh, Julia Roberts in it, so I can imagine on paper everyone's like, "Dude, okay, this looks great." CG. Oh, I haven't got, seen we it. We got Julia Roberts. Yeah. It's not. It's kind of mean spirited. Okay. To be fair, I think the tone of the whole thing was uh, yeah, not, not my cup of tea. But so you got this movie that's coming out at the same time as another movie that's highly related, uh, and so it could easily have been a huge failure. But it was, I think, really the beginnings of us seeing the the Pixar recipe where you, where you now have, 
you now have this storytelling recipe. Yeah. Uh, and all the eyes were going to be really big. Right. <laughs> yeah. But also like, you know, the, the, you know, it's kind of like structure wise. It's, it's based on like the seven samurai, you know, and, and they even say that in the behind the scenes, they literally were like, yeah. So this is like basically the seven samurai. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think um, they weren't trying to hide that. Yeah. No, no, no. I, it's not the first time people have made a movie out of Seven Samurai. I mean, take right. Magnificent, but, Magnificent Seven is literally the Western version of right. Seven Samurai. But especially in animation, you take Rick and Morty. It's fucking Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, Doc yeah. and Marty. Right, yeah, right, so right, it's right, like right. there's like this get out of jail free card. We have an animation where uh, you're doing we're the so version. part of pop culture mm-hmm. that it's absolutely okay to be derivative of whatever's primarily happening in entertainment to kind of riff off that. Well, and they're making, they're making a, they use that for the story structure, but you're, this is a kid's comedy versus a serious life or death. People uh, getting live action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that there's, even though this is not something that you've watched a million times, I think it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a, a a film that holds up, and yeah. also a film that you that you watched at the right time yeah. to remind you. And and exactly, and I needed that reminder, and I still do to this day. To be honest, is that I was such a romantic when it came to film growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that was films were my life. Like it was like my way out of the out of the 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 white ghetto of non education growing up in the suburbs of Portland. Right. That it was like it was a great way to see what. Uh, how colorful and joyful life can be. And so at that time, when I was going to school, I started to lose my, my, uh, my genuine joy uh, of film. I, on, I mean, I still wanted to work in it, but I was getting older and getting more cynical. Um, but at that moment in time, that film, uh, I was nine years old again. Yeah. Like yeah. literally yeah. nine years. I was nine years old and drunk in a preschool caboose all but over I, again. I also, I dare say that, also, the thing that appealed to you about that film was that that one one of the things that Pixar really I don't know if they brought back or or they or you you could argue they take it further. I'm not sure, but the de- there's definitely an aspect of like okay, we're gonna make a a family movie with an eye towards making a really quality story mm-hmm. that is. Uh, Ageless. You can you can watch it as an adult and not feel like you're just sitting through it because your kids are watching it. Yeah, it's but not it, like it, watching Barney. It specifically entertains you so that when the next one comes out, you want to see it as well. You're not just it's not just an excuse to go see a movie for your kids. It's it's like oh fuck, I want to see that new Pixar. Yeah, movie. because those because Pixar at the time, all of them folks were make they. I think all had a, such a level of self-respect that they were also making those movies for themselves. Yeah. Like they were like, well, we're going to give it our all now. Granted, I also have to say these films were being incubated to the tune of around $200 million a movie, $180 million a movie. Yeah. Throwing that many resources and that many years of carefully building that machine, you know, it takes a lot of money and a lot of time. Yeah. And like, I think that the Pixar models, Thank God their movies make billions of dollars because it costs. The, they're the, the Pixar animated films are the most expensive 
uh, CG films in the history of mankind. You right. Know? And like Blue Sky at Fox, I mean, they're still making their pictures for like 130 million, you know, like Rio and Ice mm-hmm. Age and all mm-hmm. that shit. Um, uh, but at that time, it was part of the Pixar fascination, I think, like not to be overlooked. These guys were geniuses, but they had time and money on their side, which is two things that a lot of animated films don't right. have. And partially that, and I could, again, this is like, uh, could totally be wrong about this, but I, I want to say that part of it was because Pixar was, had been doing CG for so long. They were so at the, they were at the, at the beginning of CG in a way where, um, they had, there was so much, excitement about the sexiness of this new technology going on for, for a while. Yeah. You know, um, that, uh, that it, that like they proved themselves as the storytelling power, but the thing that was backing them the whole way through was that new tech was that new tech and and high quality aspect yeah. you know they were taking this new tech and instead of doing grotesque terrifying <laughs> shit out of it they were doing fun enjoyable i remember seeing the listerine commercials when i was a kid mm-hmm. and being like those look fucking cool yeah, you know and yeah. so i i think that yeah they, because they looked real right it tickled your eye because yeah. you're like how'd they do that yeah and the and and so there was like a there was like a they had a quality level they were they were on the cutting edge of this technology that people were really excited about. And so they could have easily made shitty movies and just disappeared. Like I'm not, I'm not discounting. We, what we could did. have like a podcast just on that alone. Like there's been so many attempts of companies. Uh, uh, I'm just going to throw them out there. Delgo, uh, uh, battle for Terra. Um, uh, 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 what was that? John Cusack, MGM, uh, Igor, uh-huh. You know, like their their hell is paid with good intentions. There are tons of animated features that were coming out in like 2003 through, yeah, I mean like the early 2000s up to you know 2005, where it was just like they were fucking awful. Escape from Planet 51, mm-hmm. and no offense to Elyon Studios in Spain, you guys are fucking brilliant. But that film to, was like at that time nobody could really make a movie for 50 million dollars at that time and what right. you got was unfortunately for like that escape to planet whatever it's called uh, it looked like vast portions were literally unrendered like right. they, they looked like play blasts right. and which they like, could have and 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 I'll say this too like one of the things when i was younger i was a lot quicker to trash uh movies because i was seeing it like I was seeing everything through this, the, the, the one lens, right? Which is kind of the point that you were just making about, um, about Bugs Life and the budget. Yeah. Which is that, um, you know, I would kind of, I would look at it in this very black and white, you know, this movie sucks. This movie's great without a consideration for like, there could be things that were play blast because, the fucking pressure came on yeah, at the end and somebody just, said they had to deliver a package, deliver those fucking files yeah. today. I don't care what it looks like. Right. Exactly. I'm the person that's writing the check and you have to do it. And I've been in that situation before. I did right. a commercial one time where they didn't like one of the creative decisions that I made. Uh, they wanted it changed. You know, it was a CG commercial and we were like, well, you know, we've got to render that. We've got to, we've got to, 
run it back through comp. Then we have to yeah. run. This is a very like late you gotta game go back decision. Into the pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it was going to be another like two days or whatever. And they already had their media buy coming up and they were like, that's fine. We'll get it. Well, you can deliver it next week. And for the first week, we're going to air the animatic that we had out of an <sighs> animatic company. And so it was an animatic company in New York that did like, have you ever seen one of those CG animatics where like, Oh, I've seen, I've seen animatic companies. I don't know. I don't know why they exist. Well, they're so, kind of scary and everything's really flat and scary. Well, this scary. wasn't even, this wasn't even like the drawn ones. This was like 3D. Yeah. It was just very rudimentary 3D that they, that they did so that they could test this thing. So they aired it and then, uh, and then like on, I think and it was then like, their clients fucking fired them and said, what the fuck did you do? No, I think it was like, I think this was from the clients that this, this thing that they, they wanted it aired. And I think yeah. it, it was on like, it went on like CG talk. People were like the worst animated commercial ever. <laughs> and you know, it was like, it was like, yeah, totally. Um, I can see, I can see the, the, the point where there may have been all things being equal. Those movies may have been spectacular yeah but yeah, all things exactly. all things are not equal no because like <laughs> with with escape from planet whatever you know they had the director of uh the original shrek i think uh directed that picture he went to spain but they had a quarter of the budget i'm sure as hell they didn't have the same amount of time that you know bugs life and other f- contemporary films of that time had um but i feel like part of this podcast what we've been able to maintain consistently on this podcast is uh, not being a wet blanket. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And, and having, you know, with us working in the industry, we understand how fucking challenging it is. So if I'm ever critical, um, it's not, uh, it's not to be like black and white or be a butthole about these films. Every single one is like a labor and requires hundreds of people. Yeah. And that um, every film really should be celebrated to be like, you know, if the zombie apocalypse happens, filmmakers, not really going to be high up on the list of priorities. Yeah. You know, making movies, it's yeah. going to be the motherfuckers who can feed you. It's going to be like the waiters and the janitors. Cause those are the people who keep us alive. I can wait. I can be a janitor. Can you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've yeah. done those jobs. So, okay. Okay. So, no, that, wait, so that takes us through number five. Yes. Persepolis. Persepolis. Yeah. Number four. Also Persepolis because it probably needs to go closer to one, but sure. Yeah. Sword in the stone. Sword in the stone. Number three, Robin hood, Robin hood. Number two, bugs life, bugs life. Number one, Number one. Can there be like a one and a half? Why? You want to add one to it? I think so. Well, let's go. Let's do number one. Okay. So number one. Okay. So number one is like the easy answer. I feel like everyone, everyone could list this as their number one, especially me as a producer. I'm not a creative, you know, Mm -hmm. so my, my palette is probably not as nuanced as most folks in animation, but it was that, it was that motherfucker nightmare before Christmas. Mm -hmm. It was that. They, that was it. That film just, it did it. It, 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 it hit me so fucking hard on so many levels. Uh, I mean, the title alone, like what the, f- how, the, 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 all you need to know is the title's called A Nightmare Before Christmas. And all of us, you know, growing up in the Western world know that there's like a little nursery rhyme every year called, the night before Christmas yeah, yeah, that yeah. gets read. Yeah. So it's like it taps, taps in, but provides a slight change to that. A nightmare before Christmas. 
what the fuck? Dude? This is fucking genius. Yeah. It's like, the, it's like a log line is your title of your movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's perfect. It's like when Chris Butler coined Paranorman. Mm-hmm. It's like, Jesus, the whole alliteration of yeah, that yeah, yeah. is, like, is yeah. so brilliant. Uh, you don't even need to make the movie anymore. Right. Cause you know, right. It's like, Why'd they even like, fucking make the movie? It's like, why? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it was an awesome film. Yeah. It was fucking amazing. Uh, Casey Affleck's character is brilliant. Um, but yeah, nightmare Before Christmas. It did it. It, um, uh, it left a huge mark. It, to me was I think when when what Disney tried to do with Snow White was he was like if I can just make an audience cry you know yeah I'm sure he didn't sound like that when yeah, he, yeah. he talked like talk like that talk he like talk a reporter like, yeah like yeah see it's me Walt Disney how you doing it's like hey but you know when when that when, when that beautiful motherfucker uh, except during the Red Scare thing that 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 was kind of a butthole move um, and the Union thing other than that. Fucking mm-hmm. pioneer, um, but you, you know, can be good and bad. You can do good things. Hey, and you we can live do bad in gray, things. Yeah, we live in a gray world. Uh, so, you know, when he set out to make people cry with Snow White, and then he succeeded. Um, you know, I think that at that moment, you know, animation transcended mm-hmm. some whatever the fuck it was at that time. I don't even know what animation was at that time. Like the most obscure thing ever. Um, well, still on that vaudeville train. I think, and I and that, that's yeah. oversimplification, but like but even filmmaking in general at that time was still yeah. on that vo- like serious theater Broadway actors looked at film as if it was like castaway sure. to like to the to pornographic yeah. crap. But uh, but my point being is with uh, with Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, it just hit me emotionally, and then it also hit me from a design point of view mm-hmm. because the the sculpt of Jack was so extreme. Um, and a lot of the other characters too, with like the, the silhouettes of these characters were so fucking extreme that my education kind of started of like, Oh, now I understand character design. Like, right, Oh, right. I, I understand how far we can, we can push the human form or really push any form, but still have it read and still have it like sing and look legible and comprehensible. It's on yeah. the, I would say that it's on the spectrum of what we were talking about with Persepolis. So it's, it's obviously way more expensive than Persepolis. And obviously it was meant to appeal to a crowd, a much wider crowd than Persepolis, but there's still an aspect of when, when you first saw that movie, you thought, how the fuck did they get this movie made? Who did they make this movie for? But I think Beetlejuice, right? It's like I think Tim Burton had come off a string. Oh, I could see why. Right? I could see why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's all because Tim Burton was a thing. It, he was he a was surprise. A, he, was a he, was a, he was a hit machine at the time. He was a, done, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd done, and he was doing done stuff that was different. Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He had done Beatles ju- Beetlejuice, yeah. and he had done Edward Scissorhands. And with Edward Scissorhands, I think oh, he really yeah. cemented that, like you know, kind of like what we see now with Wes Anderson. At the time, there was like. Oh, there's a. This is a Tim Burton thing. It's a unified yeah. one, one person's brain thing, which yeah, exactly. It's funny. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. was a thing. And what's kind of amazing is that one of my goals with this podcast has always been to destroy that illusion that uh, that that um, Nightmare Before Christmas is not Tim Burton's. And it has Tim Burton all over it. And Tim Burton obviously contributed a lot to that movie. But that movie is also Henry Selleck. 
Yeah, or and, or David Daniel's sister who 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 uh, sculpted Jack Skellington. Right. Yeah. Uh, down the line, I guess yeah. that's my point. Is that is that uh, before Nightmare Before Christmas, it was um, you, that came out, and you were like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Like like how how because the songs are Danny Elfman, mm-hmm. and they don't sound like Disney songs. They sound like weird Danny Elfman songs. Yeah. And the but it doesn't sound like corny Broadway shit either. Like, cause it's, there's, there's some like me animated musicals. Oh, yeah, I watch yeah. No, no, like, no. Oh, oh, I'm like cringing. No, it's a, it was, it's, it's, it, it was, it's, it was a very much its own thing. Yeah. And then it was also a culmination of so many, uh, artists who, who within our little world are legendary, you know? Um, and I think, uh, that it's 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 really like a moment in time. I don't know that you could ever the only way that movie gets made is through a series of crazy events that converge on that movie being made. Yeah, and and uh uh Henry had been directing stop motion. I think at that time Henry really made a name for himself with those MTV IDs, mm-hmm. like those early MTV stuff. But and okay, can I film. But I, but I think also like, I think like the, the, the things of like, uh, Henry and Tim Burton being, uh, CalArt alum together. And so Tim Burton wants to make this movie. He already know it's not, we're not going to do this wide sweep and interview every stop motion person ever to figure out who should make this movie. He already knows that Henry should make this movie. And if you watch, so if you just watch, Tim Burton's work up until Nightmare Before Christmas, it looks very much like a Tim Burton film. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't and you watch Henry's work up until Nightmare Before Christmas, looks a lot like a Henry Selleck film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would, I think that's the point that I'm trying to make is that it was all these incredible artists who were already doing this thing. They got invited to this big expensive party to do this thing on mm-hmm. a scale that no one had ever imagined was going to be possible before. Uh, and then all of a sudden we as a public are seeing a movie, not in art house theaters, but in, right. In big major yeah. theaters, they're doing a little bit of a push for this thing. Although I'm sure that they were, I'm sure they pulled way back. I'm sure mm-hmm. it suffered from the same thing as like iron giant where like, they're like, you know, well, we don't know. And then they don't market it all the way. And then, yeah, because it costs money to market. It costs money to do prints and advertising, but, and it's, and it's this, and it's a major motion picture, but it's edgy as fuck. So it's like, uh, you know, no one wants to, no one wants to put their neck out on the line for this movie. Yeah. Back to, this is what makes the, I know that we already did the spider verse thing, but this is what makes the spider verse thing. So crazy is that they even fucking marketed that movie. Who, that seems crazy. Well, me. I think, yeah, maybe the world is so crazy right now that studio executive is like, yeah, fuck it. We're just, we're just gonna, we're gonna trust our creators. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let me, let me ask you this. So, um, sorry, I just fucking totally hijacked your number one movie. No, no, but I'm going to bring it back around to you because, um, in all fairness, and I know how, how bourgeois and pedestrian this makes me sound by saying, Oh, it's nightmare before Christmas because it feels like low hanging fruit. But, uh, that movie fucked me up and continues to fuck me up in a way, um, uh, in the best way possible. It's like, 
humanity at its best. It's amazing. It's, uh, uh, the characters are, uh, filled with mistakes. Like they're making mistakes. Like Jack Skellington is making a series of mistakes mm-hmm. and he ends up redeeming himself. It's not this, uh, the, the characters weren't perfect, but, um, uh, having that movie do what it did to me at a young age, uh, and then working with Henry on Coraline was fucking so surreal. Right. And then last week going in and going to his studio. Yeah. And like, how fucking cool is that? Yeah, just yeah. hanging out with Henry. Yeah. It was like, it was still like pinch me moments because I've worked with him, but it's still, I will never, I will always be however the fuck old I was when I fought, saw Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, when I, I will still always be that age. Yeah. You know? And just seeing Henry, I'm like, I'm always brought back to that, brought back to that age. So I think, uh, when I die, which will probably be soon because I drink too much, um, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas will, uh, it will always be my number one. Yeah. And I watch it like several times a year. And my kids and I still watch it yeah. every year perennially, yeah. like around that, like Christmas, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving holiday situation. Yeah. And it's what they want. It's what the the marketing from the studios want from every other stop motion movie. Like now we're caught in this Nightmare Before Christmas cyclone where every year they make so much Nightmare Before Christmas shit and sell it that they never expected. You know, like they, no, but they, I went into Rite Aid how to much, buy antacids, and there's fucking Jack Skellington shit all over, yeah. just like in some dingy Rite Aid. And how much Pocahontas shit was there? And how much Emperor's New Groove shit was there? None, because Nightmare is the one that that has become a a, a true classic where yeah. there's where they can continue because to it make fucking money off meant it. something, and it was interesting, and the point of views I think were very. Uh, they were controlled between uh, Tim and and Henry, and that well, the and that the, it wasn't a film by committee; it was a film by filmmakers, right? And I think it's which still, is how I, it I s- should be. It's it 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 it's still something where like it doesn't matter that everyone's seen it. People that love it still feel like uh, they feel some ownership over it. Yeah, that it that like it's it was it was their special thing to love. You know, like has that cult classic value. And, yeah, and 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 it would be hard for me to say like, oh, you know. Sword in the Stone is my number one. It it contributed to me, but it wasn't. Um, it just you know, it's like apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. All but, right, uh, but that's what I would say. I would so say we got I'll take take so, that to my grave. So we got your top five. Before we go, you want let's to hear my you, bottom five. No, I want to hear your. I want to hear your one point five. There was like something you wanted to sneak in there that you that was that wasn't quite number one but also felt you felt oh, like should be oh, on the list oh, oh. triplets of belleville oh yeah oh yeah oh. Ho, ho, ho. so was... regale our regale the audience with the with Ugh. what the triplets of belleville is so okay so uh european hand-drawn animation you have cg thrown in in you know in key moments but effectively it is a color palette that uh feels european character design that feels european it just feels like um you're being served a meal from a different country. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of the first films where I really started to pay attention to, um, foreign animated films. Mm-hmm. And I know, it, I think it was like nominated for an Oscar. Or something. Yeah. It also doesn't feel like, like a kid's film, you know, it's, fuck a, it's no, a, it's dude, an they, adult film. They trap all them fucking Lance Armstrongs and shit and put what, them in a room and make them. Like, do you remember what year that was? I don't, but the, I mean, early two thousands nine, I was going to say like late nineties, but maybe it was, maybe it was early two thousands. Yeah. And then uh, you don't know 
you don't know what budget was range. No, if I had to guess, I think probably under fifteen million. Maybe. Yeah, that's a guess. I don't know. If somebody can. But really gorgeous hand drawn, but beautiful and different, full on, like it's a figured out. Yeah, yeah, like they, but no skimping. Like a lot of a lot of no. indie movies no. that are really fantastic have to skimp in their animation. And I and I my memory of the Triplets Belleville is that it was it was done up fully, and that yeah. um, if I think it, it was like a French film, so yeah. it's like Pathé. This is yeah. done by like the major companies in France, and also like I'm so envious of that business model where you know a vast Majority of your budget, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of your budget, uh, comes from grants and right. government subsidies, uh, from the, like the, the Ministry of Culture and shit like that. Cause they're like, you know what? We value culture and we value how this contributes to our society. Here's some tax money for you to make a movie. Yeah. Can you imagine if that happened in this country? It would all fall apart. I don't know. We Chaos. Would, but, right? Like, I'm just maybe, kidding. <laughs> I mean, we're damn, no, I mean, in I this want. country, we are damn good at making film. I mean, we're, Really, really good at making films, but I wonder if you re- uh, uh, if you release the valve and take the pressure away from Four Quadrant and being like, "This better make money," and take that away for a moment, and instead of being like, "This better make money," is the you ask a director, you know, what is your opinion on the human condition, and their response to that is a ninety-eight minute fucking movie, yeah, without restrictions right and that to me is the ultimate form of you know artistic expression right uh versus sticking their fingers in the fucking soup and like being like it's not cold enough it's I not agree. hot enough oh fuck that yeah. noise um i'm gonna turn the tables on you next time we're gonna right. do your top five because i'm already embarrassed by giving my list because it reveals no, this was really great i, I didn't know i didn't know uh one, I didn't how know milk how toast I am. No, I didn't know how long <laughs> we would go, and I didn't know how much it would. It would. I, I, I want it to be not just specific to you, but specific to your journey as a producer. And I think that it's there. I think that that's what we got, and I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. excited about Thank that. Thank you. I, I genuinely feel that my producing career has been such a, a struggle, uh, going from project to project and studio to studio, that. Um, uh, my gift to myself, my wish, my virtue, uh, is that, you know, over the next 10 years to return to being an audience member mm-hmm. and stopping the world for a moment. Don't worry about anything. Literally don't worry about anything and just sit and be an audience member again. And, um, uh, uh I met, I met a girl in LA named Maria who is just that, mm-hmm. um, who it, it appears she's never lost that, uh, that audience member joy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was so interesting reconnecting with a, with a human being like that who had yeah. actually never lost it and who, uh, d- refused to, uh, turn to cynicism when it comes to being an audience member. And I was like, God damn, that's why I got in the industry in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd I let myself go for so long? Um, so, uh, so yeah. So I appreciate you asking me that question. I feel like, uh, I really enjoy producing. I, I, I just enjoy just getting my paychecks and working in this industry. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in, um, letting go and, and trying to return back to just being an audience, Uh just enjoying what's happening in front of, you know, on that screen. Right on. Yeah. Dude. Well, thank you, man. So I'm going to torture the shit out of you on the next one. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Uh, well, Rob, thanks again for making the pilgrimage all the way out here. And, um, uh, this is not going to air in time, but we're going to have our first live podcast 
Yeah. Tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Oh, my God. With our special guest. And thank you, everyone, for continuing to listen to this podcast. We have a lot of fun making it, and um, we just want to keep getting more and more people to uh, to hear about um, our thoughts and our friends' thoughts and this yes. um, fun industry that we're in. Yeah. So um, click subscribe. Uh, social media is so great. Share it. Share your share the shit on your social media. I mean, even if you hate it, you can just be like, "Oh my god, don't listen to these guys. They're terrible." But at least just put it on social media and help us out a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, cool. Well, thank you again, and let's do this again uh, in twenty four hours. Sounds great. And then again in a week from now. Yeah, sounds perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. Bye.